Total Joe Rest Podcast, episode 5, recorded on the afternoon of the 18th of February 2015. You join me in my car again, even though it's during the daytime, um, my girlfriend's kind of busy in the flat and I didn't really want to be in there while she was doing what she's got to do. So I've come out here. It's not going to be as quiet as normal. There's kind of building sites around me and stuff, but I hope the car is soundproof enough for that not to be an issue. So what have I been up to? It's been, again, two weeks nearly, I think. I'm not sure I lose track of time. But shortly after I recorded the last podcast, I got wind of a pub meeting where Jono Ack and a few other people, they're from Bad Voltage, you probably know who they are, but they're sort of quite well-known figures within the Linux world. They had come to London for the Ubuntu phone launch and were staying around for another day and they were just in the pub in Covent Garden. And so I thought, well, I've got nothing else going on. Went up there and um, got really drunk with them. And also Jordan Keyes was there. He's quite an interesting guy. He makes videos for XDA developers, reviewing phones and unboxing stuff and whatnot. And he was a very knowledgeable person to talk to phones about, and he was quite a good laugh as well. So all in all, that was good fun. And what else have I been doing then? I recorded and released quite a tough Linux Luddites episode. We were talking about the Raspberry Pi and the Ubuntu phone, and we'd put it on our Nexus 7s. and we record it in a way that is out of sequence. Hopefully you can't really tell normally when we do that because we record on a Friday night, usually the the kind of non-timely stuff, the main feature, any discussions, that sort of thing. And then on the Saturday afternoon, we do the news and feedback so that if anything happens between um, the Friday night and the Saturday, we we can cover it on the show and then release it usually on a Monday. But this time, Jesse turned up having been in the pub all day. And what can you say? He was wasted, basically. And it was a bit annoying. I like to have a drink on the Friday night session, but I like to not get too wasted, whereas he was already wasted when we started and then continued to drink another couple of beers. So I think the show suffered as a result. He was sober for the news section and the feedback, but for the the Raspberry Pi discussion and the Ubuntu discussion, he was just hammered. I tried to edit it down, edit down his rambling and stuff, but we ended up being two hours, 20 minutes. The whole show was, I'm not going to say a nightmare, but it was certainly a tough one and it wasn't our finest hour, I don't think, but hopefully people didn't notice, except that now I've opened the lid on that, spilt the beans as it were, but more positive news, I bought a second-hand Chromebook. I got it off eBay. It's a Acer C720, which is one of the higher-end Chromebooks you can get. It's only got a 16-gig SSD, though, so you very limited storage-wise. And I found that Chrome OS, well, it's just as limited as people have said it was. It's just a browser, really, and everything. You've got a file manager, and that's about it. Everything else is in the browser. It's just like booting up a Linux distro that's only the Chrome browser. Well, that is, it's not just like that. That is what it is. But it boots incredibly quickly. I, I was, I'd heard it was good, but I was really surprised by quite how quickly it boots. They've really optimized it. I mean, there's not much going on, so it's not a huge surprise that it's quick, but it is amazingly quick to turn on and turn off. 
I did install Zubuntu Linux on it, and that was fairly straightforward. It was, I had to kind of hack it a little bit to do that, but it's fairly straightforward. But the problem is I can't set up a dual boot. I mean, a 16 gig SSD is quite the limitation in the first place, but Chrome OS doesn't take up much space, and Zubuntu only takes like a couple of gigabytes or something. So I could, in theory, have it dual booting, but I can't get it to work because the second that you start touching the Chrome OS partitions, um, resizing them in Gparted, it just doesn't like it and it just won't boot. It says it's damaged and you need to put in the recovery media, which is easy enough. You you format the um, USB stick, although you, you can't just get an image and DD it onto it. You have to... Um, use their script and i'm not very happy about that but once once you got it your usb stick it's really easy it's all automated and stuff but i'd like a bit more control about where where to put it and i'd like to be able to set up my own partitions and and set up a dual boot but google probably don't want you to do that they want you to just use chrome os don't they but um yeah i only paid 70 quid for it off ebay so it's not in the greatest of cosmetic states you know it looks a bit battered and stuff but it seems to work fine so at least it now means that i've got a chrome os device and when there are developments within chrome os i can actually get a hands-on with them and it's something that i felt was a bit of a hole in my experience really so it's it's pretty cool it's not something i'm going to use much i don't suppose i'd use it more if i could dual boot with uh, linux but uh, we'll see uh, it was uh, quite good to get my hands on it, have a little play with it. And another positive thing, that I've helped to organise my first Linux event, and that you probably know about, but I'll plug it on here anyway, and that is Scott from Mintcast is coming to London next week for work, and I thought that it would be a good idea to meet up with him, and then I thought, well, why don't we get more people coming and invite listeners to come and I thought, well, how about we get some other podcasters? So Jesse, who listens to Mintcast and I do Linux Luddites with, he's going to come and get drunk. In fact, it was with him that I went out to, to find this venue in the first place. And it was his suggestion. And it's a really cool pub called the Mulberry Bush on the South Bank, just near Waterloo. It's sort of nine minutes walk. It's, it's a little bit of a walk from Waterloo, but most places are around there that aren't horrible. And anyway, we're doing it on the 26th of February, which is a Thursday evening from about six o'clock onwards. So if you're around London, um, you've probably heard about this anyway, but come. It should be good. They do food. It's a nice place. We've got a little corner uh, booth type thing that seats between eight and 12 people. Um, yeah, Matt Copperweight from Dictopian Roadshow, he's going to come. Popey from Ubuntu UK is going to come. Um, and hopefully some listeners and some linux people from the greater london log and it should be a good night so come along but speaking of matt copperweight i've actually got my first other person on this show last week and i really should have got this out before now um i spoke to him about the south london makerspace now he apart from being a podcaster on the dictopian road show he is also a developer and a trustee of the South London Makerspace. So I'll link to his Twitter and Google Plus pages and the Dick's Open Roadshow, but um, here's the interview anyway. 
I'm now joined by Matt Copperweight, who is a developer, podcaster, and trustee of South London Makerspace. So welcome, Matt. Hi there, Joe. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, man. Not too <laughs> bad. So what exactly is a makerspace then? So a makerspace is a place where people go and create things. I, I'm kind of thinking like the, you know, the elevator pitch here, the 30-second 30, the, the 30 elevator pitch is yeah. uh, it's a community-run, community-owned organization where people can go, go in for a membership fee and they can use the tools and materials that are available in the space rather than having to do it in their living rooms or their garages where they might not have everything that they need. Okay. And what's the typical thing that someone might make then? Uh, well, oh, absolutely everything. It varies a lot. Um, we got some people who like model making. We got some people who, I mean, Arduino is massive at the moment, and so is three D printing. Uh, we got a guy who um, builds quadcopters professionally, and so uh, he will three D print a bunch of stuff, uh, just just random things. Uh, we got some people who you know like making uh, lights blink, and so they uh, do a lot of stuff with Arduino and Raspberry Pis. Um, we got uh, a couple of model makers. So uh, there's a guy there who's actually made a uh, like a plaster cast model, uh, like an, a large version of a, a Lego man um, that okay. he's then using as kind of like art installation type things where you know he places it around and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's not you know, about sort of I don't know twenty centimeters high or something, but yeah, quite realistic and um, quite impressive that he's just managed to do that. Uh, you know, with um, silicon and stuff. Okay, it sounds a little bit like a Hackspace, but I suppose, what's the difference, I suppose? That Hackspace is more software and soldering hardware rather than this is more um, woodwork and metalwork and tools and stuff. Is that the difference? Yeah, I, there is technical differences. I, I find people who really know the difference to be very boring usually, but I, th- I think specifically it's kind of... Hackspace is sort of aim more towards the hardware engineering end and uh, makerspaces tend to aim more towards the artist's sort of creative end. Uh, but I, in reality, there isn't really a lot of difference at all. I mean, they're basically the same thing. It's just a different name because people want to be distinguished from somebody else. I mean, there's, there's Create Space as well, uh, which is a similar organisation over in um, northwest London. Uh, and, you know, same sort of name, just, you know, uh, <laughs> same take, but yeah, different name. Okay. And so, can you tell me a bit about the history of South London Makerspace? It's not been plain sailing, has it? Not easy, no, definitely not. Um, so, I, I'm one of the original trustees, uh, so I've been kind of there from the beginning. I, I originally saw my position basically as to make it happen. Uh, we needed three people to s- start the business, uh, essentially. Um, as as uh, The way that we run the business uh, means that you need a minimum of three people. Uh, we did that coming up to about two years ago. Uh, and uh, from there, we were fortunate enough for people to give us enough money to be able to get a uh, a place together. In fact, we got free rent in the first place, uh, thanks to some uh, generous people in the area. Uh, and we were there for a couple of months, and um, the the money that was donated to us meant that we could pay off the bills, uh, you know, heating, lighting, <laughs> that sort of thing, yeah. uh, internet and stuff. Oh, actually, no, internet's free. Um, so somebody donated that. Um, AA ISP donated that to us as well. Uh, okay. And uh, yeah, we we just sort of had a couple of months in there, and then had to close down because uh, basically the, the the place that we were in was like a shell. 
there was nothing in it at all. Uh, and we did it up. We did it up really nicely. And the, the place had been empty for a year. And suddenly, uh, you know, as soon as we, we did it up, the, the guy who owned it started getting interest from people going, oh, you know, maybe we could start putting our, our shop in there and we'll actually pay you rent. And so when, the, you know, when it came to the end of our contract, our free period, he was like, right, we've got somebody to, to pay now, so you have to get out. I, it wasn't quite as nasty as that, but, you know, it was kind of like, oh, well, we put all the effort in here and uh, and now we're having to get out. Um, so thanks very much. But um, yeah, we then spent a couple of months uh, trying to find a new place. And actually the new one uh, where we are now is only just behind uh, where we were before. Um, it's actually within a railway arch, um, just kind of in the alleyway around the back. And, uh, it's, and we're having to do a lot of work to it. It was originally in a in a very poor state um so we've we've actually built a wall uh we've probably got the largest number of bricklayers for any kind of makerspace or hackerspace in the uk because we just got loads of people who came in we need a wall put a wall up uh and uh it's because you know obviously an arch two two ends and we only had wall on one end uh, and uh, yeah, we're putting lining in at the moment, which I think is now done to stop all the water getting in. And now we're actually going to start making rooms. Um, so yeah, that's that's where we've got to now. So it's not functional at the moment, then? Not just yet, but actually, our open date is set for the twenty first of Feb. So um, not too long, about uh, a week and a half as of um, recording. Um, so yeah, really, really soon we're putting floors in and walls and, and that's kind of the easy bit because that's just wood uh, and you can attach them to things and um, then we'll actually have a, a, a workable space, a usable space. And so what are you going to end up with? You said to me before when we spoke, three separate areas. Yeah, that's the idea. We kind of got three phases as such. Um, the, the, obviously, because our, our cash flow is limited, uh, it's money given to us by our members. So we're not going the whole hog um, in the first instance. Um, but we're currently on our first phase, which is to get uh, a usable space to do your typical uh, quiet, um, low dust stuff. Um, so things like uh, electronics and um, computing and programming and things like that. And that, that's going to be our first area, our first room. And as we get more money and more f- um, cash flow in, we'll be starting to expand further and further back into the arch and the arch will still be usable it just won't be as nice as we would like it to but of course the further back we go then we can put the bigger tools in we've got a laser cutter coming in um we're going to put in uh, pillar drills and things like that so people can do woodwork and metal work and stuff so that will be the, the following rooms and then the final room which is kind of as as it is now although we want to improve it slightly is uh, the snug which is sort of a social area um where you can just go and talk to people and you know bounce ideas with each other and just you know um kind of make friends find people who do interesting things uh well, that's the idea anyway yeah so business wise then is it a limited company or how, how what are the kind of boring business aspects of it how yeah have you that? <laughs> it's very boring um we have so we uh, the way we set up we we modeled ourselves very much on the london hack space and london hack space is the uh, largest hacker space in europe it's currently got 1200 members uh, and they are in North London, uh, and but they are uh, kind of a bit out of the way if you live in South London. So uh, we modelled ourselves on them, and what they recommended to us um, was that we set ourselves up as a limited company by guarantee. Uh, so that means that it, it kind of works very similar to like if you go to or if you sign up for um, a gym membership or if you sign up for uh, like a, a, a squash club or something like that. It, it, 
it means that the members kind of are a part of the organization. They're not employees as such, um, but they work, uh, well, they do their work as a part of the organization. Uh, and um, any kind of, uh, any losses that the organization incurs is put upon the members, but we, as guarantees, we can limit that to a pound. So essentially, if the company falls, the same with London Hackspace, the company um, falls over, then um, there's a limited liability of a pound for all of our members. Okay. And so how much does it cost to be a member then? Uh, so we have a minimum setting of £20 a month. I mean, it's uh, f- a little bit more, really, than London Hackspace. Uh, but we are obviously quite small. We've currently got around 60 members as opposed to London Hackspace's 1,200-plus. Um, so uh, we're, right. we're, we're, we've kind of set ourselves what we think is an achievable goal. You know, It's kind of the approximate price of most people's... Um, uh, mobile phone contracts on a monthly basis um, so that um, people can get used to the tools. Well, when, when it's up, I mean, obviously people are being ridiculously generous now, uh, not having a space and still paying us, fortunately. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do it at all. It's actually kind of a chicken and egg problem. You can't do it without the members, but you don't have a space for the members to work in. So do have to yeah, be very so appreciative. What, so once it's up and running, you think that the membership will grow then? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, we were growing in the region of about three members a week when we had our free space before. Obviously, that's tapered off as we haven't had a space and people aren't quite so keen on putting, you know, investing in something that they're not going to get any return on, which is fair enough. We can't blame mm. them for that at all. Um, but uh, yeah, when, once we reopen, we're hoping to be in the same region again of three members a week. And we're going to be, you know, really pushing the promotion and stuff to make people uh, aware of what we're doing. Yeah. And so do you have staff members or are, are you all just members and all equal, like some sort of communist utopia? <laughs> yeah, no, very much communist utopia. I'd love to have staff members. It would make things so much easier. But no, we're all absolutely volunteers, been, been volunteers from the beginning. So all of the time, all of my spare time uh, that I have available uh, goes into doing stuff from for the makerspace. Obviously, I'm quite technical. My, my background is programming. So uh, I do a lot of the website. I manage the web servers and um, build the membership page because obviously our requirements for getting my members signed up is pretty bespoke. So um, I, I've built the uh, site that allows uh, members to sign up. Okay, what is the site? We haven't mentioned that. Uh, yeah, southlondonmakerspace.org. Um, yeah, okay, it's, it's simple as that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's in Herne Hill, which is in South London. It's actually quite accessible by bus and by train. Uh, you get there from Waterloo quite easily by bus um, when they're not on strike. And, um, <laughs> yep. for, and um, the City Thames Link line is, goes right overhead. It's literally, we're in the archway. The City Thames Link line goes overhead and you can stop off at Hernhill. And it's about a five minute walk from the station. Yeah, it's ah, a very nice website. Uh, well done. Just yeah, yeah, that was one of the other guys. So we were really fortunate, actually, that um, between uh, us three original trustees, kind of got me doing the technical side. We got one of our guys who works for uh, an architecture company. So he does all like the graphic design of like how you how we think the space is going to look, and he can create some really nice models and sends them the way for for rendering and stuff. So they look really really good, and we can show people what we want to do. And then we've also got an actual graphic designer. So between all of us we sort of kind of we think we kind of met the perfect triangle of getting all of the the flashy stuff up front to get people on board uh, obviously that's something that's usually quite tricky in technical environments <laughs> yeah uh, it does look very professional i must say mm, yeah the guys did some good work i can't take the credit <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay fair enough you're more back-end stuff i suppose mm. 
So how realistic is it for people to think about setting something like this up in their own city then? Well, I, yeah, it happens everywhere. I think one of the most amazing things that I found about um, becoming a trustee of this project is that there are hundreds of these around. I, mean, I found that there were two actually really close to me. <laughs> once, well, Only once I started setting this thing up. So it, it's not that uncommon. You start off quite small. In fact, um, so kind of the, the pre-pre-history of South London Makerspace is a community group called Brixton Tinkerspace. And they were a group of a bunch of people, usually artists who had studios around Brixton, around the Brixton area. Uh, and they, they put, um, you know, a, a kind of a, a community thing together, going to pubs and building stuff and using people's studios to, to build things. And um, so, yeah, you can start off quite small. The ones close to me, they, they meet up in a garage every couple of months or so and, and build stuff in there. And, and from that, you kind of build up Brixton Tinker Space. A lot of the people came over and said, right, let's do something really proper. Let's build a, a proper space. And that's what became South London Makerspace. Brixton Tinker Space still uh, is going. Uh, I, I don't think quite as regularly. We've kind of taken over a bit. But, you know, it's, it's, it's always about baby steps. And you just got to get that community there first. And then you can build yourself up to a, to a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like... Um, Cambridge, uh, I can't remember, I think they're called Cambridge Makerspace. They, they recently uh, became, uh, got a, a huge donation and set themselves up really big and really proper now, coming from um, just running in someone's back room for a couple of years. You know, it's, it, um, it's, not, it, it's not easy, but it, it, the, the way that the limited companies uh, sort of sets you up means it makes things a lot easier, I, I, I think. Okay. And so time frame wise, where are you and how long is it going to take before it's fully up and running? And, and then the, the third phase of getting it all completely, you know, finished and that's it done. What, how long what? is a piece of string? Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. There's, there's plenty of um, bike shedding, which is a London hack space. So it basically means, you know, I'd like to be able to do this and I'd like to be able to you know, put a nice roof on. I'd like to be able to put LEDs all around and I'd like to be able to control those LEDs remotely and stuff. It's never a, um, a finished project. It's always um, changing. I mean, with the free space, uh, that we had before. Uh, one day I turned up and everything was backwards. Somebody had come in and just completely reversed everything in the space. So, <laughs> it, 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 like in you know a lot of technology sort of philosophy, it's get the get a viable product so that people can get in, and then we'll worry about when it's finished as such. It, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do the pol- the finishing touches, polishing it off. Yeah. Uh, later, we'll just get something working now. Um, and so how long is that going to be then, do you think, before people can actually get in there and start making stuff? Uh, within a month, certainly. Uh, the idea is with the open day that we can um, get people in properly uh, and we'll have all the... Because um, we've, got, we've got a card system, so uh, you can use your Oyster card and it just takes the ID off your Oyster card to recognise who you are and allows you in. So we've just got to hook that up and that means that people can get access to the space. So I, I, I imagine within a couple of weeks... Um, it, it, wouldn't be uh, too long, certainly. Okay, and is it twenty four seven, or do you have to yeah. not do it at night? Yeah, that's the idea. Um, that it's twenty four seven. As I say, modelled it as much as we could on uh, London Hackspace, and obviously we have limitations because um, we've got neighbours and there's residential areas around and stuff. So if somebody's doing, I don't know, um, <laughs> you're drilling through a bit of metal at four o'clock in the morning, then yeah. you know, probably not the best idea. Maybe you could wait until the daytime when nobody's around, and you know, it's not. Uh, yeah, not, not not as much of an issue um, but yeah basically if you 
if you're not too noisy, then yeah, it's open 24 hours. Yeah, that sounds good. So is there anything that I've forgotten to ask you about? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I just, I, I'm really excited about it. I mean, I haven't been able to spend as much time as uh, I'd, I'd wanted on it lately. But yeah, I'm really hoping that uh, we can, uh, we, we got something that people really want. I mean, we, we're always getting emails from people going, yeah, this is a really great idea. So yeah, if you live in the area, definitely come down. Um, we've, we're going to have open days and stuff. You can check it out. So uh, yeah, um, definitely uh, come down and have a chat with us. Okay, and I suppose uh, before I let you go, I better let you plug your podcast then. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I, I am also a podcaster. Uh, I do the Dick Turpin Rose Show, which is uh, a Linux-based, free software-based-ish <laughs> podcast, uh, which is uh, tdtrs.co.uk. Yeah, and you swear quite a lot on that, don't you? Yeah, we do. We do, we do like a bit of um, verbal diarrhea and uh, <laughs> you know, um, saying a lot but not actually saying anything at all. So <laughs> if that's your sort of thing, we're perfect. <laughs> and Creative Commons music as well. You have quite a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, we do throw some stuff in. Pete's really keen on Creative Commons. So my co-host Pete, um, he always picks out some really interesting pieces of music. I don't get involved in the editing and stuff, so it's actually quite a nice surprise for me when I listen back to it and go, oh, actually, I quite like that bit. I mean, yeah, he usually nicks it off um, Rat Hole Radio. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the really good bits from Rat Hole Radio. So yeah, it's, uh, it's some great music on there. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, thanks a lot for coming to talk to me, and uh, no, no doubt I'll speak to you soon. No problem. Cheers. Yeah, I'll speak to you soon. So, as Matt said during that, go and check out the Open Day. It's only in a few days now. I feel a bit bad about this. I should have put this out before now. The 21st of February, Saturday, and it's kind of near Brixton. So, if you're around and interested, go and check that out. So, I've got quite a lot of feedback in the last couple of weeks. So, I better go on with that. The first one is from John O'Brien, and he said, You express concern about whether or not you're too negative. Given the nature of topics you discuss on Luddites and Mintcast, it's totally appropriate for you to wear the hat of critic and give your opinions. We all use tech for different reasons in different ways and to varying levels of involvement in our lives. There will never be a one-size-fits-all option regarding any bit of tech. I found that the most useful critics are not the ones I agree with all the time, but the ones that are honest and consistent in their reasoning for praise or disapproval. So long as that consistency is there, I can reasonably predict if I will like or dislike something. In other words, honest opinions help me much more than advertising. Um, so that's uh, quite positive there, I suppose, from you, John. Thanks for that. He continued, With regard to your verbal tick, when it comes to obviously... You're not the worst offender. I gather you're not an ice hockey fan. <laughs> I think you can... Uh, you can't see the ball or the puck or whatever it's called. I don't know how you can watch ice hockey. It's so fast and you can never see what's going on and then suddenly everyone's cheering and, well, what do I know? But anyway, uh, I gather you're not an ice hockey fan, but if you've ever investigated the abuse of the word by players in the NHL, you'd feel a little better, at least by way of comparison. If you find you're saying it more than you'd like, then fix it. Well, that's what editing's for, eh? <laughs> I'm a musician as well, so I understand the frustration of having to correct a verbal habit. It comes with getting in front of the microphone. All that said, I've never found your use of the word distracting. Oh, well, that's good. It's only when it was pointed out to me that I realised I said it, and as I said, everyone says it all the time. So thanks for that anyway. Clyde said, I do not consider your input on podcasts like Mintcast and Linux Luddites as negative at all. Rather, you express what I often also feel. I so much want to be positive about everything Linux, but is that realistic? 
I can go on and on as a professor and tell students how great Linux is, but questions will quickly come up. So why is Linux not fill in the blank? Yeah, why is Linux got no Photoshop, for example, or any professional tools? Anyway, continues. Of course, we could always sit back and say, well, we will see. This way, say nothing if something positive can't be said, but is that interesting or even realistic? Someone who states the facts, well, that is refreshing. There are all kinds of personalities in the Linux community, and the best podcasts are the ones that mix up those personalities, i.e. Dan and Fab. The only requirement is listeners respect you, and I do respect you. Oh, thanks. Uh, your views are well-founded on knowledge, experience, testing, and deep thought, and you state facts the way you see them. The feeling I get from you is that you can say something is not working or not living up to promises, but you are still supportive of the effort. Tough love. That's quite a positive spin on it. David Harvey said, I don't like the automatic assumption that if there is not sufficient diversity, then it is assumed to be a problem. I've been a keen motorcyclist for 40 years, and for all of that time, non-white motorcyclists have been and continue to be extremely rare. Females are also underrepresented. The lack of diversity is not evidence of any racism or sexism. It's just the way it is. And then this next bit is pasted in Comic Sans MS for some reason, which is quite funny on my phone, but I'll just have to struggle through. I used to be a part-time adult education tutor, and following an Ofsted inspection, the organisation I worked for was criticised for a lack of diversity among its students. We were told that there were not enough men or young people signing up for courses. There are plenty of reasons why certain people choose to do certain things, but to regard the outcome of those choices as a problem is a mistake. Many organisations are under pressure to become more diverse, and such strategies border on being patronising towards those groups that are perceived as being underrepresented. I'm very keen that you continue to raise these topics, as such thought and discussion can only be healthy. Well, you might like the next show after this then, which I won't say too much about, but I've got a guest lined up that um, <laughs> speaks his mind, certainly in emails, so we'll see if he actually manages to deliver on the podcast. Anyway, David also says, I don't think that you're too negative, and I would encourage you to continue to voice shortcomings as you see them, as this approach is both healthy and realistic. Nothing is perfect, and we cannot have everyone turning a blind eye to areas where improvements are required. I fully accept that attracting advertisers and sponsors can be a problem, but I hope that your directness and honesty will win over more and more people. Keep up the good work and don't sell out. <laughs> Thanks. Rufus said, I don't think that the duration of a podcast should be limited. As long as the talking is interesting, I don't mind listening for two hours or more. Well, you're going to like the latest Linux Sluddites then. <laughs> I don't think you're too negative on anything just because of being a negative person. I think you're honest and that is worth much more than enthusiasm with low vision. You may well have difficulty selling your show to advertisers and making money out of it. On the other hand, the show would suffer a lot from adverts if they run too long, like in some other Linux-related shows. You could team up with some sharp-minded, enthusiastic person like Gareth to compensate the scepticism, but don't swallow ugly PR toads, or otherwise you will no longer enjoy what you do yourself. Yeah, that's a potential idea. Gareth's too busy, unfortunately, but he tends to be quite enthusiastic, certainly about Max and stuff. And that's, I think, part of the reason that the show I did with him worked quite well, because we, I was always really negative and he tended to be positive and we tended to disagree a lot. And I think that makes for a good show when people aren't just backslapping all the time. 
You can probably hear a helicopter going over, sorry about that. That's the uh, perils of doing this during the daytime. Stephen Ward said, I don't mind your particular brand of negativity and cynicism. It either gets me to see something in a new light or forces me to think about why I have my own opinions. It's likely your tone, a sort of slightly disappointed or frustrated dismissal, which doesn't get my blood up like an angry rant might. I stopped listening to Brian Lunduke after a particularly stupid rant about the Star Trek reboot. Yeah, don't get me started on him. Anyway, uh, he says, Great job with the new cast, by the way. I tried doing an ego cast, for want of a better word, myself last year. And I was a bit too ambitious. I'm involved in a college radio station at work, and I wanted to practice using Rivendell, a Linux-based radio automation system. Unfortunately, trying to do a live show with music and talking in the middle of the night just didn't work. The first episode had a rubbish mix, but while the second was better, I really needed to rethink how to do it. Your show has really inspired me to try again. Oh, well, that's good, Stephen. And uh, when you get it up and running, do let me know, and I'll have a listen to it, if you do a podcast of it, which I presume you would do. Alpha Bravo sent some feedback about episode three. They said, interesting stuff as expected, coming from Mintcast and Luddites. My only suggestion is that the outro music was somewhat louder than the rest. That's from memory, though, so I could be wrong. That is entirely possible that the outro music was too loud. They should, in theory, be the same volume, the, the intro and outro, because they're on the same track, but um, maybe it was much louder than the vocals, that you know, the speaking. So, um, who knows? I tend to do it on headphones in the middle of the night when I'm drunk, so, um, yeah, <laughs> maybe that was that. Um, they said... In my own podcast list, one-person shows are very rare, but I think as long as the host is self-aware enough to not ramble too long, it makes no difference in quality. In some ways, it's better, no interrupting each other, etc. I've added the RSS, and thanks for the content. Ah, oh, well, thanks for listening. And Yeah, I mean, that's been a constant question in my mind. Can people possibly listen to me just rambling on, but... Mm, some people are listening and I seem to be getting positive feedback and hopefully now with Matt on this one and if I can get this guest to come on for the next show then we should be uh, a bit more interesting and a bit more variety and if it's not just me all the time then maybe it'll make it a bit easier to listen to uh, but that's the end of the feedback if you want to get in touch joerestpodcast at gmail.com or you can leave a comment on the website I'm not sure. It might be quite soon when I do this next show, but no promises. Um, but you never know with this show, dear. It sort of comes when it comes. So until then, see you later.